Dude, we are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and Notch are the great idea. Hello and welcome to Debated Podcast. I'm Conrad, I'm joined by my usual co-host Will, and this week's guest is Tim Dawson. Now, um, thanks for joining us, Tim. Um, before we get into the full swing of it, would you, would you mind sort of telling the audience who might not necessarily know who you are a bit about yourself? Well, I mean, it depends which bit about myself you want to know. Um, I'm basically, I started as a sitcom writer uh, when I was 18. And I've sort of ended up a kind of Brexit campaigner. I write, you know, pro-Brexit articles in newspapers. And I'm currently editing a website called Free Market Conservatives, which obviously makes the case for free markets and for uh, for Brexit. And uh, I'm also writing a play for Radio 4 at the moment. So that's what I'm up to. That's me. So um, obviously you've got sort of the conservative aspect and the also like working in the media entertainment industry with the writing and that which is not usually a combination that people expect um what is it like being on the right and in sort of the entertainment industry uh it's unusual uh, i mean i don't think there's an awful lot of us around there are a few there are a few kind of right-leaning comedians i'm thinking kind of jeff norcott mm-hmm. uh, and a few others. There's a guy called Alistair Williams, who's uh, kind of breaking through in Leo Curse. But there, there aren't an awful lot. And there's Simon Evans, too. But I don't think he'd want to be described as a conservative, although <laughs> I think it would be fair to say he is a free marketeer. Um, I mean, at the moment, it's obviously quite an unusual and difficult position to hold because the media is completely dominated by a certain kind of solipsistic kind of left-wing remainer worldview um so yeah we're quite we're kind of an unusual bunch but i think people are coming through you know because i think people are kind of saying actually i'm going to say what i think and as soon as people start to do that it has a kind of snowball effect yeah yeah, no i mean I, i can i can see that sort of like there does seem to be more of it sort of happening recently that you see, I've seen Jeff Norcott. He had recently had his BBC documentary that he did, um, and and sort of stuff like that. So I think I think it is changing a bit, but obviously there's still sort of is the reputation of like the BBC being left wing and that. Well, I think a lot of people just kind of aren't out, you know. Like I'm pretty sure that everybody who doesn't kind of hate conservatives and hate Brexit, you know, and just keeps their mouth shut, they're either not worried. Or they probably go into the, you know, the booth and vote for Brexit or, or vote for the Conservatives. So I'm sure they're kind of out there. Um, I mean, when I was working a lot at the BBC, I did not share my political views um, because there was kind of no point, really. I mean, people may have guessed. I, perhaps people I work with very closely knew my political views, but it's not something that you would uh, share because you you'd fear that you were going to be penalised because sharing a kind of left-of-centre, pro-EU perspective would be the norm and what Mm. people would do. And, you know, why pipe up? Uh, So when I was kind of making sitcoms, I wasn't really... I just sort of sat quite quietly if people were talking about politics. And then I just thought, no, screw this, I'm going to say what I think. And uh, that was an interesting experience. 
uh, we've recently had a by-election in Brecon and Radnorshire, and the Conservatives lost that by-election to the Liberal Democrats. They did. Uh, what do you think that potentially says about the shifting political makeup of Britain? Uh, nothing really. I think the Conservatives were much better than uh, than they were expecting, and I think if you add kind of the Tory and Brexit party vote together, you kind of get a, a majority for Brexit. So I don't think it really says anything beyond perhaps the Brexit party is going to have the ability, or perhaps will have the ability, to scalp uh, Conservative MPs, um, which you know I can kind of. It seems to me slightly daft to put a <laughs> a kind of a hard brexit candidate up against a hard brexit mp so for example i can i could see why the brexit party would want to stand against dominic grieve um, but it isn't obvious to me what would be gained from standing against someone like steve baker if your position is that you want to leave the eu yeah yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I completely agree that I think it's sort of not sensible for the Brexit party to stand everywhere. But then, I guess maybe there are some of the egos in the party are more interested in sort of their own careers rather than necessarily sort of putting the country well, first. In that they're an interesting could... coalition, aren't they? Because they're a coalition of kind of you know Anne Widdecombe and, and Claire Fox. I mean, I, I I really like both of them actually. Um, I think they've both got very interesting things to say, uh, quite different things on some subjects, but I think that they should be, you know, free to say what they think. But it, it does strike me that at some point you're going to kind of hit an internal incon inconsistency, because how do you make those two... I can see where you can make the kind of libertarian aspect, the argument for freedom of speech, the kind of argument put forward by Spike, which I write for a bit. I mean, that goes very well with a certain type of conservatism. But if you're going to have a kind of socialist uh, economic model, that is not going to. Mm. That, that is not offerable along with a kind of Thatcherite economic model. You have to kind of, <laughs> at some point, you're going to have to work out a coherent position. So whilst I really like some of the people in the Brexit party, um, I'd just be I will be interested to see how they come up with a proper programme for government. Um, I think that might be a challenge. Although, actually, I do think that one of the things the Conservatives really need to adopt and really need to take seriously now is this issue of freedom of speech, academic freedom, freedom of conscience. You know, I think that's mm. absolutely really important. And I think if, if they can influence the debate on that, that's, you know, a really good thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Sort of, the Brexit Party is sort of an interesting coalition, and the, I mean, obviously, it was completely fine for the EU elections where it was on completely on one issue, Brexit. But when it comes to other issues, in like a in like a general election or a by-election, it's a bit more difficult. I mean, the thing I saw about the Bre Brecon and Radnorshire by-election is that the Conservatives, as you sort of said, did better than you'd expect. Especially yeah. if you if you put in the current sort of polls ten points ahead into electoral calculus, they would still predict the Lib Dems to win Brecon, even yeah. even on the current polls. And um, and that it, it, overall that would lead to a big Tory majority. But on in that seat, and in fact the Conservatives did better, and the Brexit Party and Labour less well than you would expect on the current 
national figure. So if anything, it, it's actually suggested a good result. But obviously, the headline result. Is still well, ended yes, up. I, and I think the Conservatives have probably decided. I don't know. I don't know this for sure, but I think they probably decided to just, you know, they were going to lose it. Uh, mm. I do think they did better than they thought they were going to do. Yeah, um, especially when you but, consider the sort of the reselecting the very candidate that had just been recalled. Probably not the wisest decision. I mean, if the you Liberals are a sort of uniquely unattractive party. I mean, I don't mean the the party members, but they do have really pretty dire leadership. I think. Uh, you know, I can't see Joe Swinson breaking through. She's like a kind of hectoring older sister. I think that's going to have very limited appeal. I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree that she's probably not going to appeal to people like us on the right, but I feel like there is probably a section of sort of left-wing, sort of centre-left liberal kind of with a small liberal. L voters <laughs> yeah. who were re- re- voted Remain. They voted Labour last time because they thought they didn't. They wanted to stop Theresa May from getting a big majority because <laughs> they preferred Jeremy Corbyn because they don't politics. But those. I think so. There are maybe like a constituency. I mean, I'm I'm in Warwick oh, and Leamington. Sure. I think that there are probably a, plenty of people here who might sort of like Jason. Hopefully, there's enough well, to split sure. the vote and get the Tories yeah, in. But. Sure. I, but I'm sure there is a constituency, but I can't see them kind of this idea that they can go home and prepare for government or go oh, back yeah, to no, it. You know, it's not going to happen. And uh, I think they've gone. I, I've found their campaigning really since Brexit. It's, I think it's been dire and I mean what's happened to classical liberalism which was actually a strain of the Liberal Party you know, the Orange Bookers Do you think that um, classical liberalism is drifting more towards the Conservative Party at the moment? Yeah, I think that the Conservatives are really the kind of the home of classical liberalism and there was always a classical liberal strain it was always one of the strains but I think now if you're a classical liberal uh, you know I'm not, it's not obvious to me what the other parties would offer you, although I do actually know a Liberal Democrat. And, uh, it, it, I, I know more than one. Some of my best friends are Liberal Democrats. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I know a Liberal Democrat who is a kind of real committed classical liberal and he feels that uh, the, the Liberals are the home for that. But Do you not I, worry I, that perhaps yeah. the, the label uh, classical liberal can be sometimes... Uh, misappropriated and misapplied because I mean you have people like um, uh, Sargon of Akkad who calls himself a classical liberal would you consider him to be someone who fitted within what you would consider to be a classical I liberal? I think it's really relevant is it? I mean there are people who call themselves socialists but they're not really so I, it doesn't worry me what people call themselves I think the definition of classical liberal liberalism is kind of quite quite clear and I think people either choose to understand what it means or not I mean I am probably sorry that's my whatsapp I wish I could disable the noise or is it not <laughs> um, somebody chasing me probably I mean I probably am a kind of classical liberal libertarian that kind of probably exist in that area but uh, could you not uh, say that I mean you know it's perfectly fine I don't think anyone should worry about people um, saying that, say, for example, if the socialist in the Labour Party or whatever. But I just wonder, do you think that perhaps uh, people who might use labels to describe themselves that make themselves seem more palatable to certain voters might be perhaps slightly misleading those voters by using a label that doesn't entirely reflect 
their political beliefs. Uh, well, yeah, but I don't think that's anything to worry about. I, I mean, I think it's up, it's up to the rest of us, whatever our mm. our beliefs, to kind of make it clear what we believe and what we stand for. And if other people are going to appropriate those labels, there's really nothing you can do about that, is there? I mean, you know, but no. what, what <laughs> but do you do about it? it? You just accept it. But it's, I, I, I just thought it was an interesting, you know, point to make that perhaps um, labels well, don't well, always you know, necessarily reflect. I see your point. But political language has been so corrupted well, that it's kind of irrelevant because people use terms completely incorrectly. Mm. One of my absolute bet noirs, I think, is unbelievably tedious, and I'm pleased to see people on the on the left standing up for it. Is when they say, oh, it's the far right, far right Prime Minister Boris Johnson. It's a far right government. I, I get it every day on Twitter. People go, no, you're hard right. You're a fascist. You know, and I, it, it's 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 just wrong. Mm. It's just incorrect. And it kind of completely perverts our debate when we start using language in that way. So really what the problem is, it's not people on the fringes using language incorrectly. It's somebody like David Lammy, uh, you know, a Labour MP, a man who actually should display a degree of responsibility, repeatedly saying that people are far right. Mm. They are not far right. The far right is incredibly pernicious and dangerous. You know, to say people are racist when they're not racist, it's, I think that is really wrong. And I'm not entirely sure how we stop it, actually, but that, I think, is one of the major problems with our kind of febrile political atmosphere at the moment, is people mm. just not using kind of their political vocabulary in any kind of sensible way. And also, sorry, it's also the way people are... Uh, incredibly volcanic i mean again to come back to lammy if you look yeah, at yeah. his twitter feed it is like he is he communicates uh, just as kind of boldly as donald donald trump does he is you know he's a volcano he's a wrecking ball and it's a really really bad way to behave and i think it's probably corbynism that's unleashed it but maybe that's a, a different conversation you tell me you're a labor man aren't you will you tell me yeah well uh, i think it, i think it depends because it it depends whether um, the belief in a, a particular political philosophy is genuine. And I don't I mean, I don't know, perhaps uh, David as, 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 as well as perhaps I should. But I don't know whether the um, the display of, of, of Corbynism or support for Jeremy Corbyn that he has sometimes. I mean, it's sort of like wax and wane over the the. The past few years, whether that is, you know, him adopting a, a particular political uh, philosophy or not. I mean, uh, you know, we can see people in the Labour Party who, and again, talking about uh, language and the way that language changes in politics, uh, have described Tom Watson as, you know, sort of like on the right of the Labour Party when, you know, or even ten the Blair right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. the, well, I know, the irony you know, there. Ten years ago. <laughs> I know, you know, the guy who got rid of Tony Blair is, is a Blairite. He's... Uh, yeah, but there's a kind of wing of the Labour Party that's decided everyone's right wing. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, they certainly. Oh, they're right wing. Oh, certainly. <laughs> it's I, I, just everyone. And I, then you'll say, no, but it's not right wing, is it? And they'll go, well, it's right wing to me. Go, yeah, but, you know, you're... <laughs> a, so what? Yeah, no, it, it, is, it is something that I, I think that... Um, uh, 
Conrad, you've uh, experienced it as well with sort of like people in the Conservative Party thinking that because you support Brexit, that you're sort of like, you know, a, a extremely right wing when, you know, you're not as as right wing as they seem to think. No, I think like there there is the, uh, that is there's also the conflation of Brexit and right wing. I mean, I'm I'm sort of. I am. I'll describe myself as right wing, but I'm not like far right or anything like that. But I think there is the conflation of if you support Brexit, that's really right wing, and if you remain is left wing. Which again, it's like it's almost. I feel like Remain and Leave are almost their own things, and they're kind of above the left and right thing, and they kind of cross the divide, and they're sort of the, almost become the new divide yeah. in politics. But I mean, Brexiteers, some of our great allies, would describe themselves as on the left. I mean, just to come back to someone like Claire Fox. It's really an insult to Claire Fox to say she's right wing. She is not right wing. She's a left wing Brexiteer, or she's on the left. She, mm. you know, it's and there's a great tradition of anti-EU sentiment in the Labour Party. Mm. You're Peter Shaw, Barbara Castle, Tony Blair. But then, of course, well. yeah. Uh, but then, of course, there was also a great tradition of patriotism amongst those people. I mean, I think Peter Shaw was a really a kind of a patriot in the in mm. the literal sense, borderline nationalist, probably. Yeah. A and that kind of is all <laughs> that seems to have all drained out of the Labour Party. And I think it's just greatly sad. I mean, someone like Clement Attlee, a patriot, a man who had respect for the British Army and, and for what it... For what it means to be British, that that's not kind of some little Englander thing. That, that that's to say, it's actually it's quite good to be British. We believe in certain things, you know. We don't mm. actually think we're terrible. Whereas, I think that there's that this strain of Corbynism, the people in charge of the Labour Party right now, they really do seem to kind of <laughs> hate their own country and any of the Western countries associated with with it. And that's, I think, deeply unattractive. And why, in my view. Labour cannot win an election under Jeremy Corbyn. Do you think there's um, any sort of prospect of people coming together at any point, or do you think that Britain is just sort of too divided now between sort of these 50-50 or 52-48 sort of camps oh, of Leave yeah, and Remain? I think people will come together. I, I mean, I don't think it's 50-50 because I think that there's a a big chunk of people who voted Remain who accept that we now have to leave uh, and I, it, it depends how you ask the question but I think there are a lot of people who are quite happy for us just to kind of get on with it I think the kind of Remain campaign the kind of that, that's um, spearheading kind of politics at the moment or spearheading the Remain part of politics that's being kind of indulged in by Alistair Campbell and various celebrities I think that's a kind of quite an extreme position I don't think that has majority support in the country at all uh, so yeah I think I think we will come together but we've got to get it done we've, we've been in limbo that's that's the problem so therefore we've been rehashing literally the same arguments for three years and it started to send people a bit mad, but that's probably understandable. Um, I'd be interested, and this is something that I don't think I've um, spoken to Conrad about, but it, it would be something that I'd be interested to hear both of your views on. Do you think that there would be any circumstance, just um, leaving uh, Brexit aside for the moment, do you think that there would be any circumstance in which either of you would approve of some sort of like, perhaps not political, but economic union 
with the European Union or some sort of like adjacent relationship to the European Union, or would you prefer to be just completely, completely separate? Do you mean staying in the single market and the customs union? Well, perhaps not necessarily staying in the single market or the customs union, but some sort of like an economic relationship that isn't necessarily a, a, a free trade relationship, one that's a bit more tied. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this sort, sort of, of like, uh, mirroring tax laws and so on. Yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah. what, 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 how would you feel about that? Yeah, because I think that our advantage comes from being able to set our own tax levels. I, I, I think that the country should should be very competitive. That should be where we go. And the big disadvantage of the EU is it's kind of this great big rusting sclerotic block trying to tie together these various economies. Um, it, 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 it's again, it's kind of internally incoherent. It doesn't actually work in my view. Um, so no, I don't think we should get involved in that sort of thing. Uh, the best thing we could have is mutual recognition of standards. That would be mm. absolutely fantastic for trade on both sides. But you know, the EU is protectionist. The EU doesn't want that. No, I mean, in, in, from my point of view, I think. I don't want to stay in the single market or customs union. I certainly don't think that would be what was what, what was sold as Brexit in 2016 would fit that in any way. Um, I think that I, I, I definitely want free trade with EU if at all possible if they if they're if they're willing to. But um, I I think that and I think there are some sort of circumstances. There are some elements where we 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 may choose to keep regulations fairly similar just out of because they're the, sure. the easiest ones and that just makes yeah, sense for our, our economy. But but we shouldn't be forced into keeping those regulations all the same just because the, you want it, because uh, we should be able to change our, be free to change those laws to fit our economy if we need to. Yeah, I agree. How do you think that um, Brexit will be achieved in a parliament where the governing party has only a majority of one? Well, I don't think it's up to Pong. So how, you... is parla- how is Parliament going to stop it with, with a Prime Minister that is determined to deliver it? I mean, assume, I mean, Boris may strike this fantastic deal that gets through the House, but... How do they stop it? I think that's probably the more pertinent question. Well, how how do you think they could stop it? I don't think they can. I think I think we're too far now. I think that I think that it's unstoppable and we will leave. In terms of Parliament stopping it, I hope I possibly wishful thinking, though hopefully ground in some reality that it is too late because. I mean, I think the last chance sort of to really stop it was before recess. And then as soon as it comes up to recess, even if there's an immediate vote of no confidence, which is the only formal way you can actually do it, then Boris Johnson has got 14 days to form a new government, if he, if, if, and, and, which is unlikely. There'd probably be a general election, but that, can, that would happen after October the 31st, in which we'd just leave anyway. Yeah, but uh, yes... But, I mean, why would those Conservative MPs really want to do that? I, I think that the position of the Conservative or, or of all MPs who are saying we must we must stop it at all costs is just 
wacky. I think it's insane. But then I think that Brexit has really degenerated into a kind of massive culture war. And I think that what the Anasubras and so on of this world are fighting for is not just to keep us into it in the EU. It's a kind of it's a kind of cultural hegemony which has been destroyed. And they obviously hate that. People hate losing power. And it's a lot of people or that kind of elite, which was probably created under Blairism, which has kind of replaced what used to be a kind of old aristocracy, dislike the fact that they are losing an awful lot of power. And that power will continue to drain away once we've left the EU. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned the sort of like the attitudes and the, 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 the cultural attitudes uh, that people have. I just wondered if I could um, read this short quote for you. Right. Uh, this is this is regarding this is regarding um, a European referendum. It is also possible that the move would encourage a certain meanness in the national outlook, though others might think that a price worth paying. Now, Boris Johnson wrote that in two thousand and one. Yeah. Do you think that um, the potential short term or whether it might be long-term national meanness, is a price worth paying for Brexit? Well, I think that the national meanness has ironically come from people who've decided that they want to keep us in the EU at all costs. I think it all comes, it all flows from refusing to properly accept that result. That has kind of destabilised everything. I think it was incredibly foolish because I think they, if they just accepted the result, we'd be out by now. And I think things would have been a lot less tempestuous. But instead, they have decided to defy the result. And that has created all sorts of resentments everywhere. And it's created it's created a kind of real um, fervor almost on, on both sides. People go, no, 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 you can't. You cannot abnegate this vote. It is not acceptable. And it has created a kind of parliament versus the people narrative. It has given space to the resurrection of Nigel Farage and probably the resurrection of more extreme. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying for a second that I think Farage is an extremist. I absolutely don't. I mean that there is also a kind of extremist nationalist sentiment that kind of bubbles away on the fringes of politics and I think that has all flowed from simply refusing to to do it it should mm. it should be done by now yeah so do you think that there's a there's a, of a risk that we sort of go down the sort of American route of, of li- where where you sort of said about the culture war earlier where like America is so so divided in terms of people literally won't like speak to people with different well, views I, and they live separately and again it's it tends to be something that that the remainer left kind of pursue i don't I, I mean i i can honestly say i haven't stopped speaking to anyone or fallen out with anyone because they voted remain or because they're not conservatives i can honestly say that people have you know done that with me because they just go well your views are beyond the pale I mean they might do it on Twitter I got you know they'll go well you're a racist sexist misogynist bastard brexiteer fascist <laughs> but really it's just a howl of pain so I thought in a way I kind of pity people who behave like that 
There's a woman on Twitter called Emma Kennedy. Have you ever come across her? Yes. She's like yeah. a novelist. And she has degenerated into this kind of Katie Hopkins of the Remainer left. She's totally unreasonable. And, uh, you know, I just think it's sad. What, what are they going to do if, when we finally left? They're going to be like, mm. oh, my God. They're going to have to totally... And, and when they find out they're still alive and they can still buy paracetamol in the shops. Do you think that the sort of like... For them. The, the, um, the, 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 does it ever... When you get sort of like messages on Twitter and sort of like people reply to you en masse, etc. Does it ever make you consider? Do you ever think, have I said something that might not be interpreted in the way that I wanted to? Or that you might have said something that you think, hang on, maybe I shouldn't have said that? No, I am always amazed by Twitter's kind of capacity to not understand jokes. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I suspect we all do it, but just the way it can be a completely deconstructible joke and people won't get it. But no, I think that Twitter, Twitter's been a really valuable tool for me. You know, it's, it's a great way to get your, your message across. Mm. Uh, the only way to really stand out is to actually say what you think. Um, I am surprised by the way sometimes people react to it, um, but that's how it must be. I mean, I remember I did a a Big Finish play. You know Big Finish, Will, don't you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I did a Big Finish play a while back, and uh, I sort of I ended up under the, you know, some fans were very upset because of my outrageous views. Uh, you know, but that's happened to mm. Gareth Roberts. You know, I, I, oh, yeah. this is a real big thing, actually. I think it's absolutely pathetic this inability to separate a art from the artist, and b to to believe that your own set of views are so virtuous that everybody else, you know, they're just not acceptable. You're unworthy. Mm. It's it's really bizarre. And there are a lot of people in kind of the Doctor Who world who I'd never encountered before. Many of them are absolutely lovely, but some of them are stark raving mad. They are. They are like darlings. It's so ironic. One of the things I try to do is, even if I don't agree with the person, even if they said things that I don't agree with, I think that they really should be allowed to say them. I mean, it's it's ironic, but I would say that a really left-wing kind of writer should be allowed to say whatever they want. That's mm. absolutely fine. But what I really resent is the idea that people will come along and go, no, that's not acceptable because, I don't know, you tweeted a quote from Mrs. Thatcher or, you know, you might believe in a traditional biological view of gender or you might not subscribe to kind of the latest woke thinking on whatever the subject of the day is. You might think it's quite sensible to have male and female segregated lavatories, for example. I think that's a perfect, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to argue against that, but I do not think it's reasonable to then come along and go, you should be no platformed, off with you. You have moved beyond the realms of what is acceptable, when they're views that are probably the majority hold. Yeah, no, I think that there has been, I don't don't know, because I mean, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and I think... I think it has moved, the fandom still seems to have moved, since I've been, I guess I've sort of, I still like the show, but I've sort of been less involved in the fandom aspect. 
and sort of peeping back into that world, it does seem to have moved a lot to the woke SJW left. <laughs> oh, well, I've never been involved in the fandom. I've always just liked the show. Uh, so only really Twitter has exposed me to it. And uh, it's extraordinary. Just extraordinary opinions. So um, we're coming to the end of the podcast now. So thank you very much for being on, Tim. It's been great to talk to you. Um, now we've also just been talking about Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> so um, just to finish off, um, if you could write for any one of the thirteen Doctors, which one would you would you write for? Six. Good old, good old Colin Baker. Good old Colin Baker. I think. I, yeah. I, I think that Colin Baker got a very rum deal, and uh, I, I would just like to write a, a Colin Baker. So, I mean, the obvious mm. answer is four, but, you know, he's so great. I, yeah. I, I do think that writing for six would be fun. Yeah. It was also, yeah. Colin Baker is a fellow traveller on Brexit as well, which is... Another, is he an, really? I think yeah, he is. No, yeah, no, from, from... I mean, if you look back at his tweets from, like, June 2016... Is he really? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I've seen him retweet Nadine Dorries, but I thought that was more just because they were, you know, in the jungle together. I didn't, I, you know, I don't know his personal politics. Mm. Although I always think it would be just fantastic to show the really woke fans a kind of off the record interview with Tom Baker, because <laughs> his, I mean, really, <laughs> even I was slightly triggered by some of it. It was. <laughs> So um, anyway, thank you for joining us, Tim. Um, pleasure. So, and thank you to everyone for listening to the show. If you want to get in contact, you can email thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And we look forward to you listening to the next episode. 